continue in our series on Galatians. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. This morning, we're looking at Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. If you don't have a Bible, you can find it in your order of worship, or you can use your phone or anything else you use. So I say to you, hear the word of God. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you who want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should, be, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said it before, so, I say it now, so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that you would come and you would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that where people are sort of bound in the shackles of their sin and their guilt and their issues and their brokenness, that you would free them even this morning. I pray that you'd be in my head and in my thinking, in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. Jesus' name we pray, all of these things, amen, amen. Well, as we enter into the, the book of Galatians, we looked at last week, the first part, and this week, last week I started with the question, this week I'm going to start with a, a very similar question. Remember last week I asked you the question, um, are you a Pharisee or are you a recovering Pharisee? And this week I want to ask you the question, are you a Pharisee or a recovering Pharisee? Same question. Now, part of the, in some sense, we could ask this question every single week of the year with every single sermon we ever preach. Because if you remember, what is a Pharisee? A Pharisee is someone who relies on their own righteousness to save themselves. A Pharisee relies on God's law in order to save themselves rather than um, the fact that Jesus has done all the work to save us. A recovering Pharisee is someone who realizes that on one hand they've, they've trusted Jesus and they know that there's nothing they can do to earn their salvation. On the other hand, we sort of fall into it and we have to be reminded almost, frankly, every week, some of us, in my case, every day, that Jesus did all the work. We don't have to do it. The other thing that we see about Pharisees is Pharisees are much more concerned about the letter of the law than the spirit of the law, right? So for example... One of my favorite stories from ministry in the past 25 years is I, I was first ordained in 1995, maybe? And I was called, I was, I'd been a singles pastor in Orlando, I was in Atlanta, and one of the, the women from the singles ministry called me in Atlanta and said, I just got engaged, would you fly down to Orlando and do the wedding for us, perform the ceremony? And I thought, well, sure, I'd love to do that for you. And she said, no, it's gonna be big. It's probably going to be around 1,000 people, right? It, it, and it was, and to this day, that was the biggest wedding I've ever done. And because it was so big, they rented this big downtown church in Atlanta, or in Orlando. It was gorgeous. And so I flew down, went, and I met the, the staff of this church, spent the day Friday. Just everything was cool. Everything was normal, right? We, we did the wedding rehearsal. I met the coordinator, nice coordinator. She walked me through everything, and I performed the, the rehearsal ceremony, went to the rehearsal dinner. The next day comes Saturday, the day of the wedding, 
Everything is ready to go. People are streaming in. There must have been 800 people sitting in the, in the sanctuary. And I was in the back of the, in, like in the narthex with the bride and her father. I was wearing a robe. I was getting ready to walk down the, the, the aisle of the church in order to start this ceremony. And the coordinator came to me and said, okay, the pastor's here. You can go sit down. And I said, excuse me? And she said, oh, yeah, according to our polity, the only people who can perform wedding ceremonies in our church is the actual pastor of the church. And suddenly their pastor showed up. He also was wearing a robe. By this time, the bride just burst out crying because she flew me down there. And I was like, are you kidding me? I said, you could have told, you could have told them before they flew me down here. You could have told me last night when we were doing this. And she's like, well, I'm sorry about that, but that facts are facts, so the pastor's going to be doing the wedding. And I said, yeah, I don't think so. And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, they flew me down. I said, I'm going to do this wedding. And she said, oh, no, you're not. And I said, oh, I am. <laughs> and she said, no, you're not. And I said, well, you know, I thought to myself, you know, we're all Christians here. Maybe we can just, maybe the gospel can rule here. And I said to her, I said, you know, it just seems like the gospel would demand in this situation, every, there's an error, clear, the gospel would demand a little grace here. And I promise you, she screamed at me so loud, people in the church turned around. She said, this isn't about the gospel, it's about following the rules. <laughs> and I said, well, to myself, We're going to have to take a different tack here. And so I looked at the pastor, and I said, I'll fight you for it. <laughs> and he said, you're kidding, right? And I said, try me. <laughs> Long story short, I performed the wedding ceremony that day. It was beautiful. Everything went fine. Now, I, I've thought often, what if he had called my bluff? That would have been, I mean, I think I could have taken him, but it still wouldn't have probably been unsightly. The, 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 my, my point to telling that story on one hand is to show you that that's a classic Pharisee line, right? This isn't about the gospel. This is about following the rules. All that matters is following the rules on one hand. On the other hand, sometimes as a pastor, there are times where it's actually more appropriate to fight and more appropriate to, to, to bite back, if you will, than to actually just be nice. And that's what you see with the Apostle Paul here and maybe the whole book of Galatians. If the Apostle Paul was to meet with a search committee to be the senior pastor of a church and had the attitude that he had in the book of Galatians, they would not hire him. Because he doesn't sound like what everyone expects a pastor to be. And yet, when you really delve down deep into it, Paul is, is ex extremely concerned, extremely loving, and the issue in the book of Galatians is so big that Paul is willing to actually fight for it. He's actually willing to be seen as being a little bit less than, than kind, if you will. You see, at this point in the letter to the Galatians, remember we looked at last week, the introduction, and in the introduction, Paul basically lays out the gospel in a nutshell. Remember, he said, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Remember we talked about in the book of Galatians that the reason God gets the glory at the end there is because God does all of the work. We don't contribute anything. When none of our good works, none of our, our, our badness, none of our damnable goodness, nothing contributes to our salvation. And that's the gospel that Paul preached to the Galatians. That's the gospel that they had received. And some people had come in apparently and said, you know what, all that Jesus stuff is cool. But if you really want to be sure that you have a right relationship with God, you should probably go ahead and be circumcised as well. Right? Because Jesus was Jewish and and the the Jews circumcised. And so if you want to be sure, and on top of that, you know, there are all these feast days and there are these events that you probably want to honor. If you want to be sure... In other words, they, they basically came along saying, Jesus plus these things are what are going to give you certainty of your salvation. And what Paul had preached to them before is saying, Jesus plus nothing is what gives you certainty of your salvation. That trusting in Christ alone by faith alone and nothing else is how you are saved from your sins. And they had apparently deserted that. They, they, they started actually following along these false teachers and that's why at this point in the letter you would expect Paul to say I thank God for you right he says to 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 when in verse 5 when he says to whom be the glory forever and ever amen and verse 6 in every other letter Paul writes says something like and now I thank God for you and all of the things that God is doing in your lives even the churches that are really messed up but Galatians problem is worse than any problem in, in any of Paul's letters because it's a problem that's easy to overlook in, in the sense that the problem with the Galatians was not that they were so bad, but because they were so good. And they relied on their goodness to save them. So instead of saying, I thank God for you, his first line is, I am astonished. That's pretty big to write for the Apostle Paul. So we're going to look at three things this morning. And so where we would expect to find Paul saying, I thank God for you, we instead find these three things. Instead of thankfulness, we find astonishment, admonishment, and finally pastoral intent. That he is astonished at them, he admonishes them, and finally he tells us, sort of gives us a hint at what's behind his intent to this whole letter. So let's consider first his astonishment. He says in verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and who want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now verse 6, it's the first clue as to sort of Paul's pastoral heart, actually. Because in, in the word astonished there in Greek is the word thaumazo, and, it, and, it, and it's a word that, that in some sense is hard to translate. Because on one hand, it could just mean I'm, I'm surprised. Like, you know, you, you jumped out from behind a tree and surprised me. On the other hand, it has this sort of emotional uh, c- connect to it. And the only way I could think that, that how, how to make this understandable is how my mom felt when I was growing up. She was consistently and constantly astonished at me. Because by the time I was 13, among other things, I had broken one of every limb. I had had countless stitches. I'd had meningitis twice from swimming in bad water. And by the time I was 13 years old, I broke my back. And it was one of those things where someone threw me off of a cliff and I landed in about six inches of water and the Coast Guard just happened to come by and pick me up in a cigarette boat and they drove me to the docks and by the time I got to the docks, the whole neighborhood was at the docks. 
And I was strapped to a backboard. And I can, I'll never forget my mom running over to me and looking down and saying, Tommy, what have you done now? Right? It's that every parent knows it. You tell your child not to touch the stove and they touch it or do something. And that same flash of an instant, you feel both anger that they did it, but also compassion that they're in pain. And that's what this word astonished means. It's, he's not just spanking them. He's not, he's not just saying, you guys are stupid. What he's saying is, what have you done now? I left you with this pure gospel, and now it is being distorted. Some people are coming along, and they're preaching to you a different gospel. They trouble you. And that word deserted means basically like, when he says, I'm, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. That word desertion is what they use of soldiers, like that you're going AWOL from the gospel here. And then he this says at the end, he said that you're turning to a different gospel, that there, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And the key there to what these people are doing is in that word distort. The word distort there means something like to turn upside down. That they're, they're taking what's correct and they're turning it upside down. Now, why that's so important is because if you remember when Jesus came, you hear, it, it says of the apostles that these men turned the world upside down. That the common world order was basically based on merit. Like, and, and our world today is as well. Right? You don't, you don't win a basketball game by getting the least points. You win a basketball game by getting the most points, right? You don't, you don't get into college by having bad SATs unless your parents are super wealthy and celebrities, but you get in by having good SATs, right? I mean, generally speaking, everything's about merit. And all religions were about merit. Every religion is about working your way to find God. And Jesus came and he distorted that, if you will. He turned it upside down and said, now your relationship with God isn't about merit. Now your relationship with God is about grace, now it isn't about how much you work, but how much someone else has worked for you. And, it, and now the way you have a relationship with God is through me, Jesus Christ, by grace. Jesus turned that upside down. And so when Pharisees come and they say, no, you need to start working for it again, what they're doing is they're turning, right, they're, they're turning upside down what Jesus already turned upside down once, which means they're ruining it. They're ruining the gospel. Now, what's the attraction of why would anyone be attracted to that? And I think, they think the answer is pretty simple. And Ben, I forgive you for stepping on my fat max about three times this morning. Um, people love rulers. If you're listening to this on the podcast, this is actually no, no mere ruler. This is a Stanley fat max. 48 inches of pure measuring pleasure. But the thing is that what the Pharisees do, all, all of us want, want to be able to know how we're doing, right? And so the, the, if someone can come along and give us a measuring stick, and we can hold the measuring stick up to ourselves and say, wow, I'm doing really well. That's awesome. And the, the problem with measuring sticks, though, is w eventually we start thinking that we've met the match, and then we start comparing ourselves to other people. And we start measuring ourselves according to how other people are doing. And eventually we end up in despair because there's always someone better than you. There's always someone who's more gifted than you. All of these things. 
And Jesus came and he turned all of that upside down. It said that doesn't matter. You don't have to work for acceptance. You don't have to measure yourself to, according to other people. You don't even need to measure yourself according to the, to the law. Because if you tried, you would find that you come up wanting. The only, the, the only standard of measure that we have is Jesus. And since we can't live up to that measure, fortunately for us, he actually obeyed on our behalf and went to the cross on our behalf and rose again on our behalf. And the question is, will we trust that or we walk around with rulers our whole lives and, and, and wonder if we're doing okay? Paul's astonished that people would even think that. And because he's astonished, he moves from astonishment to admonishment. Notice what he says next. He says in verse 8, he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you another, preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now, did you catch that Paul said the exact same thing two times in a row? That he said something, and he said, let me remind you what I just literally just said. And what he says is, if anyone is preaching a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Now, think about this. Paul is saying that even if an angel from heaven comes and preaches to you a gospel, something different than what I preached to you, let him be accursed. That word there is anathema. And that word there means to be damned to hell forever and ever and ever and ever without ever <laughs> ending. Right? It means to be cut off. It means to be totally destroyed. It means to be completely and utterly separated from God. And Paul says, if anyone, an angel comes to you. Now, I don't know about you, but it would be tempting to, to me if an angel came to me and said, hey, I know what Paul told you, but like, I'm an angel. And I came straight from God, and I'm telling you that it's Jesus plus something. Paul says, even if an angel comes to you, don't believe it. What's even more interesting, that Paul says, if I come to you again and tell you something different, don't believe it. In other words, Paul is saying, if I come to you a year from now and say, guys, you know what? Remember that time when Jesus knocked me off the horse and said, you know, I'm going to show you how much you have to suffer for my name? Well, like two months ago, I was right, and he knocked me off the horse again. And he said, everything you preached before is wrong. Now it's Jesus plus something. Go tell them that now. Paul says, even if I come to you and say that to you, don't believe me. That's how important the gospel of free grace is. Paul says, if anyone preaches anything different than this, let him be accursed. Now that's a problem because when you look around us, lots of people preach different things than this. So, for example, if anyone ever says to you, you just send me your money, you do your part, and God will do his part to bless you. That somehow, we, you know, if you do things, God will do things for you. In other words, the prosperity gospel, things like that. We tend to be very like, well, you know, who am I to judge? Maybe that's the attitude we should have. That wasn't Paul's attitude. Paul's attitude was that if you preach anything else than what I preached, may you be anathema, cut off and cursed from God forever. And this always reminds me of a, of a, of a passage I read in Spurgeon's lectures to my students. Charles Spurgeon wrote a book to preaching students. And one of the things he said, he, he said, some of you gentlemen, in the 1850s, he says, some of you gentlemen, after a lifetime of preaching, 
will die. And when you die, you will go to hell and you will meet your congregation. In other words, after a lifetime of preaching, he's, in fact, I think he says your congregation will, will gladly receive you into hell. That's pretty scary. I mean, I was thinking, how did, what does that look like in modern? You know, it's like imagine the, 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 the way to hell down is a down escalator, and you're riding the escalator down after a lifetime of preaching, and your congregation is standing there with signs that said, you had one job. You had one job. Your job was no matter what. Even if we wanted to believe something else was to keep reminding us that there is no other way to be saved except through the person and work of Jesus by faith alone and grace alone without any works whatsoever. One job. Did you do it? You know, Richard Pratt was my, a teacher of mine and he always used to remind us, he said that those who make their living from their faith, preachers, always risk losing one or the other. Because sometimes people don't want to hear it's by grace alone, through faith alone. We want to believe that it's us. We want to believe that we had something to do with it. And Paul says, absolutely not. And it's interesting here because he ends on this note that gives us a hint of his pastoral intent. Notice what he says here. He says in verse uh, 10, he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So apparently, interestingly enough, you know, Paul came along and these, these guys were saying, you have to be, it's Jesus and you have to be circumcised. And Paul said, you don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And what their response was, oh, that Paul, he's just a people pleaser. Right? He's, the only reason he's telling you don't need to be circumcised is because, frankly, no one likes to get circumcised, and he's just trying to make you happy, and he knows that you'll like him more if he tells you not to be circumcised than you like us who are actually telling you the right thing to do. And I love, how, I love Paul's sort of sassiness here because he has just said, if you preach anything that, except what I delivered to you in the beginning, may you be damned to hell forever. Now who's trying to be popular? Now, am I, am I trying to please men now? And there, there's something we can learn from here, this freedom that Paul has, this freedom to fight when he needs to fight, the freedom to not fight when he needs to not fight, and it's found in the fact that his, his identity is centered and found in the person and work of Jesus and not in anything else. That he has a righteousness that is not his own, that his relationship to God and his relationship to others is not based on whether or not he's good or bad or people like him or not, but in fact, it's based on the fact that Jesus has done everything for him. Because of that, he can actually be unpopular sometimes because he knows even if people don't like him, Jesus does. Even if people are angry at him, Jesus is not. You know, and with this, I don't know why it came to me. I was thinking about this morning, gladiators came up. If you've seen the movie Gladiator, it's pretty old now. If you remember in the movie Gladiator, there's basically two kinds of gladiators, right? There's the kind of gladiators that are just sort of fodder, right? They're like the warm-up act for the real gladiators. You know they're going to die. And in fact, they don't even try that hard, but they get thrown out into the, to the ring anyway. And then there's gladiators who fight, and there's gladiators who, who fight. And if you remember in the movie, at least, they all, what are they fighting for? They fight for the freedom, and sometimes, no matter how much they fight, they don't, they're never granted their freedom. 
Because at the end of the day, the freedom is based on the grace of their master anyway. It depends on whether the guy wants to let them go. And all of us, as we consider this book of Galatians, as we live our lives, everyone in this room at some level is one of those kind of gladiators. We're either the kind of gladiator that just knows that the world is going to beat us down, and so we'll go into the ring, and we're not going to try, and we're not going to worry about it because we're never going to be free anyway. Or we're the kind of gladiator that says, you know what, I'm going to go out and I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight to be free. I'm going to fight to be free from my sins, and I'm going to fight to be free from my issues. I'm going to fight to be free from my past. And here's the thing. Both of those gladiators, you can fight your whole life, or you can be passive your whole life, but you are never going to be free. Because the only way to be free is to have faith in the one who did all the fighting for you. That Jesus came and he earned our freedom. That's one of the big themes of the, the book of Galatians, is that for freedom we have been set free. That Jesus earned our freedom. Think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray as we continue to, to dive into this book of Galatians that you would um, continue to open our eyes to the freedom that we have in Christ. That you would continue to wean us from the, the desire and the need to, to have the approval of other people and the need to, be, to measure up to, to other people's standards or even our own standards. But in fact, instead, we would trust in Christ by faith. In his name we pray, amen.